0: Chapter Eleven of The House on the Borderland by William Hope Hodgson This LibriVox recording is in the public domain THE SEARCHING OF THE GARDENS How slowly the time went, and never a thing to indicate that any of the brutes still infested the gardens! It was on the ninth day that finally I decided to run the risk, if any there were, and sally out. With this purpose in view I loaded one of the shotguns carefully; "'choosing it as being more deadly than a rifle at close quarters, "'and then, after a final scrutiny of the grounds from the tower, "'I called Pepper to follow me, and made my way down to the basement. "'At the door I must confess to hesitating a moment. "'The thought of what might be awaiting me among the dark shrubberies "'was by no means calculated to encourage my resolution. "'It was but a second, though, and then I had drawn the bolts, "'and was standing on the path outside the door.' Pepper followed, stopping at the doorstep to sniff suspiciously, and carrying his nose up and down the jams, as though following a scent. Then suddenly he turned sharply and started to run here and there, in semicircles and circles, all around the door, finally returning to the threshold. Here he began again to nose about. Hitherto I had stood watching the dog, yet all the time with half my gaze on the wild tangle of gardens stretching round me. Now I went toward him and, bending down, examined the surface of the door where he was smelling. I found that the wood was covered with a network of scratches, crossing and recrossing one another in inextricable confusion. In addition to this I noticed that the door-posts themselves were gnawed in places. Beyond these I could find nothing, and so, standing up— I began to make the tour of the house wall. Pepper, as soon as I walked away, left the door and ran ahead, still nosing and sniffing as he went along. At times he stopped to investigate. Here it would be a bullet hole in the pathway, or perhaps a powder-stained wad. Anon it might be a piece of torn sod, or a disturbed patch of weedy path. But save for such trifles he found nothing.' I observed him critically as he went along, and could discover nothing of uneasiness in his demeanour to indicate that he felt the nearness of any of the creatures. By this I was assured that the gardens were empty, at least for the present of those hateful things. Pepper could not be easily deceived, and it was a relief to feel that he would know, and give me timely warning if there were any danger." Reaching the place where I had shot that first creature, I stopped and made a careful scrutiny, but could see nothing. From there I went on to where the great coping stone had fallen. It lay on its side, apparently just as it had been left when I shot the brute that was moving it. A couple of feet to the right of the nearer end was a great dent in the ground showing where it had struck. The other end was still within the indentation, half in and half out, Going nearer, I looked at the stone more closely: what a huge piece of masonry it was, and that creature had moved it single-handed in its attempt to reach what lay below! I went round to the further end of the stone: here I found that it was possible to see under it, for a distance of nearly a couple of feet; still I could see nothing of the stricken creatures, and I felt much surprised: I had, as I have before said, guessed that the remains had been removed, yet I could not conceive that it had been done so thoroughly as not to leave some certain sign beneath the stone indicative of their fate. I had seen several of the brutes struck down beneath it with such force that they must have been literally driven into the earth, and now not a vestige of them was to be seen, not even a blood-stain.' I felt more puzzled than ever as I turned the matter over in my mind, but could think of no plausible explanation, and so finally gave it up as one of the many things that were unexplainable. From there I transferred my attention to the study door. I could see now even more plainly the effects of the tremendous strain to which it had been subjected, and I marveled how, even with the support afforded by the props, it had withstood the attacks so well. There were no marks of blows, indeed, none had been given, but the door had been literally riven from its hinges by the application of enormous, silent force. One thing that I observed affected me profoundly. The head of one of the props had been driven right through a panel. This was of itself sufficient to show how huge an effort the creatures had made to break down the door and how nearly they had succeeded. Leaving, I continued my tour around the house, finding little else of interest, save at the back, where I came across the piece of piping I had torn from the wall lying among the long grass underneath the broken window. Then I returned to the house, and, having rebolted the back door, went up to the tower. Here I spent the afternoon reading and occasionally glancing down into the gardens. I had determined if the night passed quietly to go as far as the pit on the morrow, Perhaps I should be able to learn then something of what had happened. The day slipped away, and the night came, and went much as the last few nights had gone. When I rose, the morning had broken fine and clear, and I determined to put my project into action. During breakfast I considered the matter carefully, after which I went to the study for my shotgun. In addition I loaded and slipped into my pocket a small but heavy pistol— I quite understood that if there were any danger it lay in the direction of the pit, and I intended to be prepared. Leaving the study I went down to the back door, followed by Pepper. Once outside I took a quick survey of the surrounding gardens and then set off toward the pit. On the way I kept a sharp outlook, holding my gun handily. Pepper was running ahead, I noticed, without any apparent hesitation, From this I augured that there was no imminent danger to be apprehended, and I stepped out more quickly in his wake. He had reached the top of the pit now and was nosing his way along the edge. A moment later I was beside him looking down into the pit. For a moment I could scarcely believe that it was the same place, so greatly was it changed. The dark wooded ravine of a fortnight ago with a foliage-hidden stream running sluggishly at the bottom existed no longer. Instead, my eyes showed me a ragged chasm, partly filled with a gloomy lake of turbid water. All one side of the ravine was stripped of underwood, showing the bare rock. A little to my left, the side of the pit appeared to have collapsed altogether, forming a deep V-shaped cleft in the face of the rocky cliff. This rift ran from the upper edge of the ravine nearly down to the water and penetrated into the pit side to a distance of some forty feet. Its opening was at least six yards across, and from this it seemed to taper into about two. But what attracted my attention more than ever, the stupendous split itself, was a great hole, some distance down the cleft and right in the angle of the V. It was clearly defined and not unlike an arched doorway in shape, though lying as it did in the shadow I could not see it very distinctly. The opposite side of the pit still retained its verdure, but so torn in places, and everywhere covered with dust and rubbish, that it was hardly distinguishable as such. My first impression, that there had been a landslip, was, I began to see not sufficient, of itself, to account for all the changes I witnessed. And the water? I turned suddenly, for I had become aware that, "'Somewhere to my right there was a noise of running water. "'I could see nothing, but now that my attention had been caught "'I distinguished easily that it came from somewhere at the east end of the pit. "'Slowly I made my way in that direction, the sound growing plainer as I advanced, "'until in a little I stood right above it. "'Even then I could not perceive the cause until I knelt down "'and thrust my head over the cliff. "'Here the noise came up to me plainly and I saw below me a torrent of clear water issuing from a small fissure in the pit side, and rushing down the rocks into the lake beneath. A little further along the cliff I saw another, and beyond that again two smaller ones. These, then, would help to account for the quantity of water in the pit, and if the fall of rock and earth had blocked the outlet of the stream at the bottom, there was little doubt but that it was contributing a very large share." Yet I puzzled my head to account for the generally shaken appearance of the place, these streamlets and that huge cleft further up the ravine. It seemed to me that more than the landslip was necessary to account for these. I could imagine an earthquake or a great explosion creating some such condition of affairs as existed, but of these there had been neither. Then I stood up quickly remembering that crash— and the cloud of dust that had followed directly rushing high into the air. But I shook my head unbelievingly. No, it must have been the noise of the falling rocks and earth I had heard of. Of course, the dust would fly, naturally. Still, in spite of my reasoning, I had an uneasy feeling that this theory did not satisfy my sense of the probable. And yet was any other that I could suggest likely to be half so plausible? Pepper had been sitting on the grass while I conducted my examination. Now, as I turned up the north side of the ravine, he rose and followed. Slowly, and keeping a careful watch in all directions, I made the circuit of the pit, but found little else that I had not already seen. From the west end I could see the four waterfalls uninterruptedly. They were some considerable distance up from the surface of the lake, about fifty feet, I calculated." "'For a little while longer I loitered about, keeping my eyes and ears open, but still without seeing or hearing anything suspicious. "'The whole place was wonderfully quiet. "'Indeed, save for the continuous murmur of the water at the top end, no sound of any description broke the silence. "'All this while Pepper had shown no signs of uneasiness.' This seemed to me to indicate that for the time being, at least, there was none of the swine creatures in the vicinity. So far as I could see, his attention appeared to have been taken chiefly with scratching and sniffing among the grass at the edge of the pit. At times he would leave the edge and run along toward the house, as though following invisible tracks, but in all cases returning after a few minutes. I had little doubt but that he was really tracing out the footsteps of the swine things." and the very fact that each one seemed to lead him back to the pit appeared to me a proof that the brutes had all returned whence they came. At noon I went home for dinner. During the afternoon I made a partial search of the gardens accompanied by Pepper, but without coming upon anything to indicate the presence of the creatures. Once, as we made our way through the shrubberies, Pepper rushed in among some bushes with a fierce yelp. At that I jumped back in sudden fright, and threw my gun forward in readiness, only to laugh, nervously, as Pepper reappeared, chasing an unfortunate cat. Toward evening I gave up the search and returned to the house. All at once, as we were passing a great clump of bushes on our right, Pepper disappeared, and I could hear him sniffing and growling among them, in a suspicious manner— With my gun-barrel I parted the intervening shrubbery and looked inside. There was nothing to be seen, save that many of the branches were bent down and broken, as though some animal had made a lair there, at no very previous date. It was probably, I thought, one of the places occupied by some of the swine creatures on the night of the attack. Next day I resumed my search through the gardens, but without result— By evening I had been right through them and now I knew, beyond the possibility of doubt, that there were no longer any of the THINGS concealed about the place, indeed I have often thought since that I was correct in my earlier surmise that they had left soon after the attack. End of chapter eleven recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia.